Tifereth, Uncas, the hook, Lamoru, the lovers. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Tarot Esoterica, episode 14. My name is Laurel Stewart, and I'm branded online as Loracular. This podcast series is just me talking about basic occult symbolism and metaphysical philosophy with tarot cards in mind. Today's episode is some commentary on Chapter 6, The Magical Equilibrium of the New Translation of Doctrine and Rituals of High Magic by Elephas Levi. I'm actually dividing my commentary on this chapter and what Levi Levi has to say about Tifereth and the lovers into two podcasts. There are some things that I really want to cover in detail, so I've devoted this chapter to some more general occultism, and next uh, chapter really into the lovers and what magical equilibrium is and the relationship between both. Magical equilibrium, or the secrets of the hexagram, are one of my favorite concepts within the Western occult tradition. I was introduced to tarot, wicca, hermeticism, and the cabal decades before I did any serious research and reflection into the Eastern Tao Te Ching. But I just finished listening to an audio version of Stephen Mitchell's interpretation of the Tao Te Ching a couple days ago. And so when I was preparing for this podcast, the Tao Te Ching and parallels between that content and this content is still very much on my mind. The Tao Te Ching is another way of expressing what magical equilibrium is and how to appreciate it and work with it to have a less stressful and unhappy life. I am not, however, a Taoist by affiliation. The same deeper truths, though, expressed differently, are found in the Western occult works of Elvis Levi, the Western philosopher occultist who inspired him, and the Western philosopher occultist who he inspired. So I highly recommend reflecting upon both, especially in comparison with each other. Levi begins chapter 6 to attribute reason to the Sephiroth Kether, necessity to the Sephira Hokma, and liberty to Bina, calling them the first divine ternary or triangle. The ternary principle is thesis, antithesis, synthesis, or yin-yang Tao. Levi sees the divine ternary as a macrocosm and the magical ternary as the microcosm within each individual person or practitioner, and the magical ternary is destiny, will, and power. Destiny he defines as the inevitable but ordered chain of events and causes. Will, meaning true will, Levi defines as the directive faculty of the intelligent forces, which reconciles the liberty of the individual with the necessity of things. I'll go into what I think he means and my personal truth on the topic shortly. Power, he defines as the wise use of the will, which puts even destiny in service to the fulfillment of the sage's desires. Levi explains that magic is simply working with esoteric laws that most people are ignorant about, and that these esoteric laws are often diametrically opposed to common conceptions. Now, Levi lived in a world where concepts like the law of magnetism, which states like poles repel one another and unlike poles attract each other, as we see in refrigerator magnets, was itself an occult secret. I'm also going to say that his truth about people being divided into an educated, wise, and self-empowered class 
and the vulgar masses is really better applied to what's going on inside ourselves as multifaceted creatures who are both enlightened and unenlightened, oftentimes during the same day. Levi says, the vulgar habitually mistake shadows for the reality of all things. He turns his back to the light and gazes into the obscurity which he himself projects. I love the poetry of those words, and I try really hard to apply them to myself. Sometimes I mistake shadows for realities. Sometimes I turn my back from an actual truth and instead let bias and other character flaws project ideas into what I experience and I gaslight myself. We all do. The world is magnetized by the sun's light, says Levi, and we are magnetized by the astral light of the world. What operates in the book of the planet is repeated in us. There are analogical and hierarchical worlds, as is the world of nature. This is expressed in the maxim, as above, so below, as without, so within. In my opinion, you can be flexible in how you map out reality's metaphor of analogical and hierarchical worlds as a metaphor along the lines of the binary, ternary, quaternary, and quinary principles. You can also think of there being two worlds, three worlds, four worlds, five worlds symmetrically within and without. Each of us is a microcosm and it is a personal truth of mine that each of us gets to be the god of our microcosm if we choose to take up that power and responsibility. What makes things messy is when we fail to appreciate where the boundary of ourself as a microcosm ends and the smallest macrocosm of ourselves as two or more people begins. Ourself as one individual gets only limited power to dictate the reality of ourselves in a relationship. This isn't something Levi addresses very well. What he says in this chapter is, when a mage has achieved lucidity, either through the intermediary of a pythonus or through his own efforts, he communicates and directs at will the magnetic vibrations in the entire mass of the astral light, whose currents he divines with the aid of a magical wand, which is the perfect divinatory wand. By means of these vibrations, he influences the nervous system of people subject to his action precipitates or suspends currents of life, calms or torments, heals or renders sick, kills or resuscitates. But here we shall stop before the smiles of the incredulous. Let us leave them to the easy triumph of denying what they do not know. So, going back to Levi's magical ternary of destiny, will, and power. Picture the tarot card, the magician, side by side with the high priestess. In this context, the magician is the embodiment of will. The high priestess is the embodiment of destiny. Pythonus is an archaic term for a female soothsayer or diviner based on the oracle of Delphi. A rock that is thrown up into the air, regardless of how much force you put into the throw, has the destiny to fall because the law of gravity, what goes up will come down. I have not yet met an occultist who had such power of true will to rewrite the physical law of gravity and be able to levitate a rock. I'm actually relieved. The human species is way too much of a hot mess, too weak on wholesome responsibility, uh, morals and ethics, 
Space to be the kind of metahumans in comic books who can do that. So when Levi says the true will is the directive faculty of the intelligent forces, which reconciles the liberty of individual with the necessity of things, I see this as him saying true will is the inherent power of a trained psyche to bring the rest of the microcosmic self which it belongs to in harmony with its macrocosmic environment. It does this according to what I quoted Levi writing by intentionally manipulating thoughts feelings, beliefs in its own self and the other selves in that environment. Levi suggests that a trained magician has a true will powerful enough to intentionally not only make themselves and others feel better emotionally, but how physically powerful enough to cause or cure diseases, bring about someone's death, or prevent someone from a dying. I actually agree. Now, I called it a metahuman power, a superhero power, to throw a rock up into the sky and then just make it fly around or levitate. Rocks are completely of a saya, the physical world. You can't hurt a rock's feelings by insulting it. It has no feelings. You can't inspire the rock to abruptly leave their vocation because they have no job and instead become your disciple and follow you around village to village healing the sick. You can carry a rock in your pocket, but you can't make a rock feel sick or feel better through what you say or do. It has no life force and it has no mind to manipulate that way. People aren't rocks. They have feelings, beliefs, and really complicated biological processes that can be manipulated. I believe that humans have life force, which is part of all the Kabbalistic worlds, not just Asaya. So it is a personal truth of mine that Levi isn't exaggerating, but the bigger the macrocosm that you are trying to change to match your belief or your microcosm, the more people that you are trying to influence, the harder it gets to effectively use your true will to accomplish this. Personal belief can't overcome consensus, the shared belief of the other selves in our environment very well. At best, it can help flavor and shape it. Using a wand or another tool to help focus specific energies in specific ways during magical rituals has been really useful in my personal experiences. The same way I find it a whole lot easier to do self-development work using tarot cards and tarot spreads than without them. I will skip over Levi's detailed thoughts on how magicians can intentionally help or or harm the health of others via manipulating astral light. Atmosphere of two people is so balanced. But he goes on to say after that, that the attractive qualities of one absorbs the expansion of the other, and attraction is produced that we shall call sympathy. Skipping over some outdated language and perceptions, Levi describes this sympathy as passion and love, and that love is one of the greatest instruments of magical power, but that in the form of intoxication or passion, it is formally forbidden to the mage. He says that sexual love is always an illusion, the result of an imaginary mirage, 
but he paints a very sensual depiction of the astral light. And based on Levi's biography, he didn't actually practice what he's preaching in here. So the astral light, says Levi, is the universal seducer symbolized by the serpent of Genesis. This subtle agent, always active, always luxuriant with lifeblood, always embellished with seductive dreams and sweet images, this blind force is subordinate to every will, either for good or for evil. This continually emerging circulus of an uncontrolled life, which causes giddiness in the imprudent, this corporeal spirit, this fiery body, this impalpable and always present ether, this immense seduction of nature. How can it be completely defined and how is its action be qualified? Indifferent in a way, on its own, it lends itself just as easily to good as to evil. It carries the light and propagates darkness. We shall also call it Lucifer or Lucifuge. It is a serpent, but it is also an aureole. An aureole, A-U-R-E-O-L-E, is also called a corona or the luminous glowing light that surrounds the sun, moon, and often gods or mystical figures in painting. Now, compare Levi's astral light and that language above to Vedic Tantra and the concept of Kudalini, which often gets translated as serpent power. I don't practice yoga and avoid appropriate practices of the New Age industry, but I personally find this kind of sensual imagery for the astral light to be very inspiring and easy to work into the physical activities I do for self-development and wellness. And I think there's no harm in reading enough about Kundalini to appreciate that this is what Levi is talking about when he's talking about his Lucifer, Lucifer, serpent, Oriole. Levi says that people who renounce the empire of reason and love losing their will in pursuit of reflections of astral light end up suffering what today we would call bipolar disorder, spinning through bouts of ecstasy with no impulse control before crashing into debilitating depression. And that stretches into talking about about impure spirits actually making slaves of such folks. I don't believe spirits come from outside the imagination. That doesn't mean that I don't think spirits are real. Levi refers to a Kabbalistic manuscript called The Revolution of Souls, which the translator says was a medieval manuscript about reincarnation. I don't know which specific manuscript this might have been, but in Jewish Kabbalah with a K, there is a concept called Gilgal Neshamat, the transmigration of souls, which is very much reincarnation. I don't believe in spirit being outside those have created by human imagination, I've said. And I think of Gilgal Neshamat as a metaphor, but I do think unethical people constantly exploit other people and that these other people are giving up the pursuit of personal true will by drinking the proverbial Kool-Aid of the exploiter's own messaging and that this entire exploitive process of manipulating others to believe what you want them to believe can be categorized as evil. Therefore, I agree with what Levi says next, that it is extremely dangerous to play at the mysteries of magic and that people
people who don't have their imagination tempered with what is known as healthy skepticism and emotional intelligence are going to eventually bring themselves a lot of pain and suffering by leaping into occult practices, especially ceremonial magic or witchcraft. I don't believe that absolute tranquility of mind or heart is obtainable by humans, however. I don't think you need that to practice ceremonial magic or witchcraft or any kind of spirit craft. I don't think that it's too dangerous to become a Kabbalist or witch or ceremonial magician in your teens and 20s. However, I can say with both personal experience and watching the experiences of others time and time again, magic with a K draws out our best and our worst. And so it's a really good idea to be prepared for that and to use magic with a K specifically for discovering what our aspirations, our fears, and our darkest desires are, and then developing to do good unto our microcosm, to bring sustainability, to overcome our own darkness. And after that, to let our better selves ripple out towards the macrocosm that is our immediate household, then our local community, and then beyond. Levi brings up using intoxicants and psychotropics to enhance one's magic and says this is dangerous, especially when it is also illegal. I agree with the caveat that it's where the practitioner is with their mental health and emotional intelligence white while sober, and how the intoxicants or psychotropics are being used in what dose and with what degree of sacred that matters the most. Levi writes that to command the astral light, the serpent force, the practitioner must also understand dual vibration and know the balance of forces that is called magical equilibrium and expressed in the Kabbalah as the Sinari principle. Just as binary means two and quinary means five, Sinari means six. The quinary principle expresses the pentagram and the Sinari principle is expressed as the hexagram. And on that note, this episode of Tarot Esoterica is coming to a conclusion. The next episode will delve into the last few pages of Magical Equilibrium and what Levi has to say about the Lover's Card. Elsewhere, if you really like this podcast series, please let me know and spread that praise on your social media platforms. I don't accept tarot clients at this time, and everything I write and post about on my website, theloracular.com, is free to read and even borrow, as long as you tribute me as the original author. I am also the part of two online tarot forum communities, The Cult of Tarot and Tarot Tea and Me. I highly recommend visiting and doing your own tarot discussions there. You can also catch me on Twitter at TLoracular, but be warned, on Twitter I get opinionated, goofy, and unapologetically political. Until next time, bring your own needs and desires, passions, and self-expectations into equilibrium. May the world do good unto you, and made you do good unto the world.